This week's message, it's a, it's a little bit of a borrow from one of the messages that I preached on in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 8 through 11, uh, but there's some different twists to it because we're, our text is from this book, the, the story of Jericho and, and Rahab and the book of Joshua. So I've entitled this message, Joy on Judgment Day. So many of you may not know this about me, but coaching high school football was a huge part of my life and my ministry for nearly 25 years. It was, in many respects, for a long time, my identity. It was my job, and I just loved the fraternity of coaching and and high school football coaches, and we would compete with one another with our teams on the field, but we were all friends off the field. Well, most of us. Some of us we didn't really like. But... (laughs) So, rewind to the summer of 1985. I have just graduated from high school. I am 17 years old. And I've just gotten my first job coaching football. And I would be, that coming fall, I would be the junior varsity punt return and kickoff return team coach. That's the lowest rung of coaching you can get to. I just want you to know that. (laughs) JV kickoff return, okay? Now, somehow, though... I'm this coach with no, no experience, and somehow I got invited to an exclusive coaches clinic that was designed for just head coaches, and it was a coaches clinic run by my childhood hero, Coach Bobby Bowden. Yes. Whew. So think about it. 17. I haven't even really coached a down yet. For three days, I'm in a room with my childhood hero and the best high school coaching legends from throughout the state of Florida. They were teaching us about how to coach football as a follower of Jesus. It was so cool. They taught us also valuable coaching techniques and things like that. And believe it or not, I know you might find this hard to believe, but in that room during those three days, as a JV kickoff return coach, I was humble and speechless. Do you know why? Because I knew from the moment I walked into the room, what was obvious to everyone, I, had, I did not deserve to be there. I had no reason to be there. I was the only JV coach at that seminar. I had never coached a play, and there I was with Coach Bowden and the rest of the best high school football coaches in Florida. I was the least qualified person in the room. And then we went around the room, right, and we all introduced ourselves. And, you know, my name is Coach Joe Davis, and I'm the JV Special Teams Coach at Temple Heights Christian School. So right after that, my head coach, who had known me since ninth grade, says, I'm Coach Barker, and I'm glad to be here with Coach Joey. Okay, hold on. Don't you even think about it. I always hated my childhood nickname, Joey. But can I tell you something? That day, I didn't care what they called me. I was so filled with humble gratitude to be among these high school coaching legends and one of the greatest college coaching legends of all time, all of whom were godly men who loved Jesus. I didn't care what they called me. On a much greater scale, it's probably how Rahab and her family must have felt on the day that the walls of Jericho fell. 
Let's go through that. Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. On the seventh day, they rose at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only that day that they marched around the city seven times. The seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and everything within shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. For if you take any of the devoted things, you make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction, bringing trouble upon it. But all silver, gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. But so as soon as the people heard the trumpet, the people shouted, and the wall fell down flat, and the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, the men, the women, the young and the old, the oxen, the sheep, the donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house, bring out the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought her, they brought all her relatives, put them outside in the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver, gold, and vessels, and bronze, and iron they put into the treasury for the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. She has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. It's just a powerful, powerful story with so much for us to look into. Historically speaking, I want you to see that this is, in fact, and we talked about it a little bit last week that this was coming, this is, in fact, the city of Jericho's judgment day. But what we see is there have been warnings they have rejected. We talked about that a little bit last week. The people of Jericho have had centuries of exposure to the God of Israel. They've seen displays of his power and his favor for God's people. They've heard messengers and prophets proclaim both warnings of judgment, but also the good news about the invitation to mercy if they join the people of God. And after six days of trumpets... The inhabitants inside the walls of Jericho have been fully informed and fully warned. There is no excuse. The warnings of judgment and the invitations to mercy were ignored for centuries and a week. Why would they ignore these warnings? I mean, certainly their spies had reported to them about what happened at the raging Jordan River when it was raging with all the spring floods and and, and it was parted and they walked across. Stories that they had heard about the Red Sea parting were only 40 years old. The news of Israel defeating vastly superior forces in the wilderness, those Amorite kings we discussed a few weeks back, that is still fresh. It's less than six months ago. How could they see all this evidence but still reject God's warning of judgment but also his invitation to mercy? 
Well, what we see here is because those warnings were ignored, there is catastrophic consequences. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Let's look at this verse. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, like so many today, Jericho resented God so much, loved this world so much that nothing was ever going to pry them away from Jericho. Jericho knew Israel's invasion was coming, but, but they would be surprised later on by the severity of the judgment that would come. And let me explain why. Because the norm after a conquest in the ancient world, when you conquered a city, the first thing you did is you captured any valuable resources rather than destroy them. This would include people that you would reserve for forced labor, any goods, spoils of war, livestock, precious metals, even the buildings and structures would be preserved for the victors. In addition to that, the women of the conquered cities were taken as concubines for the conquerors, serving multiple purposes. First of all, it humiliates the defeated. It infiltrates their bloodline, increases the population of the people who have just conquered, and it forces over time assimilation into the new culture. It sounds bad, but this was Jericho's baseline expectation. Well, this is the worst it could be. And I believe the people of Jericho were willing to risk living that way. They likely assumed, look, Israel's going to attack. We have our walls. We have our army. But if we're defeated, Israel will probably take the normal action and plunder the city, maybe enslave some of us for a while, but at least we get a chance to continue to live there's a chance to continue some semblance of the life that we love here in Jericho, and it's probably worth living under the rule of the Israelites, or at least the risk of it, if we get to at least stay in our old neighborhoods. Here's the problem. That wasn't going to happen. Because God commanded Israel to kill everyone inside Jericho. Now listen, I know that's troubling, and as I've said before, don't worry, it's coming. We will deal with with that troubling idea soon. But within this, this tragic story of stubbornness and, and total judgment is a beautiful story of mercy, what I believe is one of the most important stories of redemption throughout the scripture and connects Jericho directly with the New Testament and with the book of Revelation. There's one family in Jericho led by Rahab the prostitute, who escapes judgment. Despite the fact that all of them had lived a life immersed in Jericho's debauchery, they are preserved. They didn't deserve it, but they received it. So that's the history of the passage. Let's look at the theology. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want you to see, as you can see in the history, there were two sides of judgment day for Jericho. So once again, this is, this is what's beautiful. This is why it was kind of planned that we would go from Revelation to Joshua. Because once again, the theology in this story of Jericho is directly, undeniably linked to the book of Revelation. In chapter 11, it has three direct links. Let's look at the passage we're going to be looking at here. It's in Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. That seems like a connection. 
There were loud voices in heaven. There's another connection, loud voices, saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. The nations raged, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of His Covenant, there's the third connection to the day of Jericho, was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So let's look at these three connections that are directly tying this passage to the book of Revelation. First, you see the seventh trumpet, right? That's the obvious, easy first one. At this point, the seventh trumpet, the seventh day of trumpets in Jericho and the seventh trumpet in Revelation is no longer a warning of judgment and an invitation to mercy. It is, in fact, heralding final judgment. It is the moment, the day God acts and destroys all evil in this world. The seventh trumpet came in Joshua on the day that the walls collapsed in their futility exposing, once the walls fell, exposing what was inside the city, which is a rotten core of wickedness. And when those walls collapsed on that seventh day of trumpets, all the foolish hopes of Jericho are dashed. Their immense wickedness is held to account, and they are, in fact, as the scripture teaches us, they are obliterated. The day Jesus returns with his seventh trumpet is the same type of event, but on an exponentially grander scale. The seventh trumpet in Revelation signals judgment not just for a city, but for all the unredeemed structures and buildings and people and organizations on the earth. So that's the first connection to the book of Revelation chapter 11. The second one is we see that the people shout. At the seventh trumpet, both in Joshua and Revelation, we see people of God shouting with a great shout, the scripture says. Look, we don't know exactly what they shouted when they were walking around Jericho with the trumpets before the walls fell. It was probably a shout of faith and triumph and victory in God's name. Maybe some of them were saying, get out of the way, the walls are going to fall. We don't know, but we know that they were shouting something because the scripture tells us. But here's what's amazing. And I think Revelation gives us a key to what they were actually shouting. Revelation 11 tells us exactly what we, the people of God, will shout the day that he comes back. It's right here. Look at this. <clears throat> the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord <clears throat> and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. This is what we're shouting together as people of God at the seventh trumpet. The nations raged, but your wrath came, the time for the dead to be judged for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and those who fill your name, both small and great, and for the destroying, the destroyers of the earth. So we see the people shout. There's another connection. I want you to see the ark, which we know from what I've taught you in the past. The ark of the covenant represents what? The actual presence of God among his people. The ark is at Jericho. Remember, because they were, <clears throat> the, the priests were carrying the ark and they're blowing the trumpet. And then we see in Scripture, in the passage I read you in Revelation, said heaven was opened up and the ark was in the temple of God. The ark of the covenant is present on the seventh day of the trumpets and at the seventh trumpet in Revelation. This, this is a beautiful 
theological, metaphorical connection to Jesus and his presence among his people, it is a clear connection that puts God's presence in both places on both days. So we see all three connections, the trumpets, the people shouting, and the presence of God. Now, the story of Jericho ends with a dire warning for anyone who wishes to go back and rebuild the walls of Jericho later. Whoever tries to rebuild the fortress of Jericho would be cursed, lose their firstborn son and their youngest son. And indeed, later on, during the reign of the evil king Ahab, there was a leader in Israel who tried to rebuild Jericho, and he paid the price. 1 Kings 16, 34, look at this. Go to the next one. In Ahab's reign, Hale of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and built the gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord from Joshua. So that actually happened. This warning is a stark reminder to God's people. Once we destroy Jericho and we leave it, there is no reason for a child of God to ever go back to Jericho. But why would someone want to go back and rebuild Jericho? Perhaps because they don't really believe that God keeps his promises and they're, they're afraid that they're going to, uh, the FOMO, fear of missing out. Did I get that right? I'm not that hip sometimes. Maybe they just loved this world more than God's grace and mercy. Or maybe they just don't really understand the depths of their own depravity. Perhaps, and I think this is probably more likely, or maybe along with the others, perhaps they had no joy. And what is that? They had no supernatural satisfaction with what? The presence of God over anything else, the Ark of the Covenant. So that's the theology. Can you see how clearly this day is connected to Revelation chapter 11? Let's look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this and how do we do it? I've entitled this section, Humble Gratitude on Judgment Day. This was the sermon preview this week. Through God's grace, a shameful past becomes inspiration for gratitude, worship, and hope. A shameful past. Can anyone relate? Question for you, do you think that Rahab would have ever even been tempted to go back and rebuild Jericho? No. Do you know why? Because she had been supernaturally fully satisfied with the presence of God among his people. By faith, Rahab had made the difficult choice to move on from Jericho to a a new identity as a child of the covenant. And now... Through God's grace, Rahab and her entire family are among God's people. And it is something that not only did Rahab's family not deserve, none of the Israelites deserved it either. But imagine, imagine for her family the relief, the immense gratitude, and the joy they must have felt on that seventh day of trumpets around Jericho. Imagine their thoughts, right, as they saw Jericho's walls tumble. Walls that were once their entire hope, their entire confidence, their belief of safety. Those walls, they have collapsed. And imagine as they watched judgment overwhelm the city. Can you see how what God did for them, though, is the same thing he did for you 
when he called you out of Jericho to become a child of light. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14. This is beautiful. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, Jericho, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Rahab's experience on that day foreshadows beautifully what we will experience on the day our Jesus returns with his seventh trumpet. You know, as much as Rahab was probably filled with amazement and joy and gratitude, imagine what we're going to feel on the day of the Lord. We will be awestruck. We will be grateful. We'll be stunned that we are even being counted among those that God has chosen to save and redeem, even though we have no reason to deserve it. All right, so I told you a few weeks ago we were, we were going to address this problem, though, in the passage. I want to address how even after that day, Rahab is still referred to as the prostitute. How would you like that nickname for all eternity? In fact, even, a even thousands of years after this battle of Jericho, in the New Testament, she's still known as Rahab the prostitute. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She's famous, by the way. There's not many people in the Old Testament that are mentioned in the New Testament. Isaiah, Ezekiel, David, and Rahab the prophet, or the prostitute. It's pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing that she's in that list of famous people. She is one of God's chosen. And look, she was no longer a prostitute, but she still called Rahab the prostitute in this story. It would be like, it would be like you giving me, your pastor, a nickname for my past failures or weaknesses. This is Pastor Joe, the ice cream addict. That's how you'd introduce me to people. That's a current problem, actually, not a past one. Oh, yeah, this is our pastor, Pastor Joe, who was fired from three different churches. This is Pastor Joe, the control freak. This is Pastor Joe with severe ADD. He'll ask you a question and walk away in the middle of it. It's true. This is Pastor Joe, famous for US 41 road rage. Either one. So when Rahab saw this nickname in writing, do you think she got upset or frustrated? I'm not that person anymore. Or perhaps... Is it possible because of her humble, awestruck gratitude, maybe she had a different reaction? Maybe she raised her hand in agreement and said, yep, that was me. My old life represented everything that Jericho stood for. I deserve to be inside the walls that day. I didn't know God. I had no connection to him or his people. I didn't know about his covenant. All of my hope and all of my pleasure was in Jericho, its lifestyle, its peoples, its culture, 
behind its big, beautiful walls. I deserve to be judged just like the rest of Jericho, but somehow, by God's grace, through the gift of faith, me, Rahab the prostitute, I have been redeemed. 1 Corinthians 6.11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can say this without getting in trouble. God didn't snatch Jericho or Rahab out of Jericho because Israel needed more prostitutes. You know that, right? God snatched Rahab out of Jericho to transform her. Because here's what God's grace does. It sets you free from pretending to be something you aren't and provides gratitude for what Jesus has done. We don't need to hide what we used to be. Because by God's sovereign choice and God's sovereign grace, the gospel has irresistibly set you free from that shame. Mm, amen. You see, this humble gratitude displayed, I see it often with the precious people that you hear on Monday night that fill this room at Grace Life Recovery. <laughs> You know how they introduce themselves? Listen, they introduce themselves. Listen, they say, my name is so-and-so. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. My name is so-and-so. I'm a recovering addict and a follower of Jesus. King Jesus. These people on Monday night, they seem to be completely set free from the shame of their former life. How? I will tell you, if Rahab were at GLR tomorrow night, she would probably introduce herself, hi, I'm Rahab and I'm a grateful recovering prostitute. Okay. It, makes, it makes zero sense that God would choose people like Rahab and people like you and people like me. But that's the miracle of what grace is, which is undeserved favor. We know what we used to be compared to who God has made us today. And you know what that is? That comparison to what we were, to who we are now, it is, I don't care what any atheist tells you, well, you can say you don't believe in God, but I myself am undeniable proof of the power of God and his grace and his mercy and his redemption. It's really hard to argue with the power of God to transform people when Rahab the prostitute has become Rahab the woman of God living among God's people. Imagine the day of judgment when you, that seventh trumpet, when you, just like Rahab, find yourself numbered among those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. On that day, you won't be ashamed of who you used to be before Jesus redeemed you. Before he transformed your heart and your life. 
And in your joy, just like Israel around Jericho, you will joyfully shout along with all the rest of people that God has chosen the words in Revelation chapter 11, which says, the nations raged, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. <clears throat> I believe like Rahab, we'll all be fully aware in ways you can't imagine that none of us <laughs> deserve to be there, but full of joy because Jesus has redeemed you. And just like Coach Joey at the coach's clinic and Rahab the prostitute from Jericho, we will have no care or shame what people say about our past. Because the only thing that will matter on that day is how Jesus used the warnings of the gospel to snatch us from behind the walls of Jericho. Even now, even now, this redemption story fills us with what? Supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything any Jericho could ever offer us. Even now, Today, right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can relate to the fact that you are just glad to be among the numbered right here, right now, today, the people of God. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful that you snatched us from behind the walls of Jericho just like you did Rahab. We're so thankful that you gave us the gift of faith to trust your mercy, to heed your warnings, and to become numbered among, among the children of your covenant, among whom we all once were people who lived like Jericho, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the mind and the heart. But while we were dead in sin, you transformed us. You made us alive with Christ Jesus together. By your grace, we have been saved. And because of that, we're not ashamed of who we used to be. We know who we used to be has become a testimony for who you are now. And until the day of the seventh trumpet, we will proclaim to those who are still inside Jericho, you can join us, the people of mercy. Be a part of this community who follows the Lamb wherever he goes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.